Uber's moving forward, listening to feedback so they can improve and get better every trip. They're building new features to take the stress out of your pickup and working on ways to keep you better protected and connected throughout your ride. You can find out more by going to uber.com slash moving forward. Kay Steiger, you run election coverage here at Vox. There were primaries in five states this week, but everyone's talking about one state and one race. What happened Tuesday night in New York? Representative Joe Crowley, who is a top Democrat in the House, he's the number four Democrat in leadership. He lost to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We begin with a stunning upset that has rocked the midterm elections. Democratic Congressman Joe Crowley was defeated last night right here in New York City by 28-year-old Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Remember her name. She is a first-time candidate, and it's it was a shocking win because she had run this super grassroots campaign, and he basically wasn't expecting a, a strong challenger at all. He's been in office for 10 terms. He first came into Congress in 1999. This is actually the first competitive primary he's ever run. This is a seismic upset, obviously the upset of the season. He was sort of appointed by his old boss in 1999 to his seat. So he has sort of been in Congress a really long time, but never really had to run a real race. What's the district like that they were competing in? So this is a district in New York City, which spans uh, parts of the Bronx and parts of Queens, which if you've ever been to parts of the Bronx and Queens, you know that it's a place where there are a lot of people of color. Joe Crowley is an Irish American, nothing against Irish Americans, but a lot of people sort of said he's not a great demographic fit for this Mm. district. So I think it's about 70% people of color who live in that district. So how important was it that, that she was this super young Latina? I think that was super important to a lot of people. Um, One thing we've seen happening in elections across the country is, you know, we've seen a ton of women standing up and saying, you know what, I want the government to look more like me. Hmm. Um, And she's just one of those people who has sort of stood up and said, I want the government to represent me. And I think it should include people like me. Who is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Yeah, so she's a Bronx native. Her mom is Puerto Rican, and she's 28 when, I'm assuming she's elected in November, will be the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. Hmm, Incredible. She's also a sort of a card-carrying Democratic Socialist. Um, She's a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. She ran on things like Medicare for All. She ran on things like abolishing ICE. She ran on things like a federal jobs guarantee and housing as a human right. So she's definitely a very progressive person, um, and she's just a very dynamic speaker. Um, She's great to listen to. You have given this country hope. You have given this country proof that when you knock on your neighbor's door, when you come to them with love, when you let them know that no matter your stance, you are there for them, that we can make change. And she had sort of this viral campaign video when she was first introducing herself to her district. What was the video like? The video is kind of amazing to watch. It was created by some of her uh, DSA colleagues in Detroit by a company called The Means of Production. Nice. Um, (laughs) But she sort of introduces herself and, and the case she makes for herself in the video is that this wasn't in the plan. Women like me aren't supposed to run for office. I wasn't born to a wealthy or powerful family. But 
I am running for office, and here's my case, and I really want you to think about me as a serious candidate, even if I don't have the money. She actually says in the video, This race is about people versus money. We've got people, they've got money. How much did these two candidates' platforms differ? Yeah, so I would say that uh, Ocasio-Cortez and Joe Crowley um, probably won't have that different voting records in Congress. Mm. But what's different about them is sort of their attitudes about what they want from the Democratic Party and how they want to run. The Democratic Party has sort of for a long time made this sort of deal with the devil in terms of big money in politics. They recognize that Republicans have a ton of money on their side and Mm -hmm. they have to, you know, raise money from either Silicon Valley or Wall Street or whatever it might be to compete on a level playing field. Um, But I think that in 2016, Bernie Sanders sort of shook up that model and he said, you know what, we don't have to make that deal with corporations and Wall Street. We can raise money through small dollar donors and we can run campaigns that way and make them truly grassroots. Ocasio-Cortez's average donation was $18. Wow. But she she beat him without having his money, right? He had like establishment money. She had grassroots He had about $3 million that he had fundraised. Somebody who worked closely with her campaign told me recently that she wound up raising about $600,000. But I think ultimately that's just a huge differential. Hmm. And... Did the two candidates meet like head to head at all? Was there a debate or anything like that? Interestingly, they did hold primary debates, but Joe Crowley did not show up. He sent a surrogate. This is something that the New York Times really smashed him on. They sent an editorial saying, don't take voters for granted, Joe Crowley. And having that editorial sort of reminded people how much he took the, the district for granted. Yeah, I didn't realize you were allowed to send surrogates to debates for you. Me neither. (laughs) How much did this like current political moment we're in with family separations play into her campaign? Ocasio-Cortez is someone who feels really strongly about immigration. Hmm. Instead of sort of running a campaign over the weekend, she took time to go down to Texas to protest family separation. And we are complicit. These are human rights abuses. These are human rights abuses. And I think for her... It's it's a really important part of what's happening. I think she recognizes that the district she hopes to represent is one that has a lot of foreign-born people. Um, it has a lot of people who came to America because they really believe in America. What was her reaction to winning? I think she both believed in the grassroots campaign, but, you know, a 10-term incumbent, that's a pretty big surprise, right. I think, even for her. So she there's a video of her just right in shock. How are you feeling? <laughs> Can you put it into words? Nope. (laughs) Uh, Holding her hands over her mouth like she can't believe that this really happened. When you said that you were going to take on Joe Crowley, I mean, people looked at you like you were crazy. They did. They did. And maybe I I was a little bit. (laughs) Is this a bit of an embarrassment for the Democratic Party? Because they were clearly behind Crowley, right? Yeah, I mean, definitely Crowley was part of the Democratic establishment. But to his credit... He, I think, sees this as the way of the future. He actually, in his sort of concession speech, dedicated a song playing guitar uh, to Ocasio-Cortez, and he played Born to Run. I see it with a band. My buddy's here, too, so... 
saying that she is the person who is born to run for the Democratic Party. This is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Wow. What's he going to do now? I don't know what he's going to do now, but I assume he's, uh, you know, he's obviously well connected. I assume he'll keep working for the Democratic Party in some other capacity. As the leader of their Springsteen tribute band, maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Does the Democratic Party have to become the Democratic Socialist Party to win in the midterms this year? That's next on Today Explained. Uber has turned the page and is moving forward. The company's goal is to improve the experience for both riders and drivers. They've been listening to feedback, working on ways to keep you better protected and connected throughout your ride so they can get better with every trip. They've got new features. Uber's making it easier for you to verify the details of your ride, showing your driver's name, car, license, so you can make sure you get the right ride every time. You can find out more by going to uber.com slash moving forward. When was the last time we saw this kind of upset in either party? Probably the closest analogy is in 2014 when Eric Cantor, who is then the majority leader, so he was really close to Speaker John Boehner at the time, lost his primary to an unknown candidate called David Brett. The loss is one of the most stunning primary election upsets in congressional history and delivered a major jolt to the Republican Party. Cantor was widely considered the top candidate to take over for House Speaker John Boehner when he stepped down. David Brett said, Eric Cantor is just a creature of Washington. He's a lobbyist. He spends all his time with the establishment, and we don't want him anymore. And Eric Cantor lost his primary. Was this like a Tea Party thing? or This was a Tea Party thing. And I think what's so interesting about what's happening here is this does, in some ways, remind me of the Tea Party. The Tea Party ran many campaigns unseating many Republicans on the premise of repealing Obamacare. You have a candidate who was sort of the heir apparent to the leadership in the Democratic Party, and he got knocked out by a grassroots campaign. Is this Ocasio-Cortez-style upset happening elsewhere, or will we see it happening elsewhere? This is definitely the highest profile situation of an upset, I would say, of this type of grassroots campaign versus establishment candidate. Mm. But it's not the only one that's happened this year. There's a Democratic nominee in Nebraska, of all places, Kara Eastman, and she ran on Medicare for all. Huh. There's also another candidate named Katie Porter in Orange County, and she's running on Medicare for all as well. And I think she has a pretty good shot in November as well. So we're starting to see candidates running on Medicare for All. We're starting to see candidates win on things like Medicare for All. And I think that's something that is signaling a pretty big change in the Democratic Party. So what does the party believe in? Ocasio-Cortez ran on abolishing ICE, on Medicare for All, on a federal jobs guarantee. 
Do those ideas have room in the Democratic Party platform? I will say that the Democratic Party has started embracing these ideas a lot more since 2016. For a long time, the Democratic Party was almost afraid to go too far to the left. You could see it in how they constructed Obamacare. They really worked with insurance companies to make sure that they would be on board with the bill. A lot of Democratic voters in the base recognize that the Republican Party will paint them as socialists anyway. Yeah. Obama's socialist policies are bankrupting America. We must stop him now. I'm Rick Perry. I approve this message. This was a common refrain with Obama. He's just a socialist. So they say, if we believe in this stuff, if we truly believe in higher education for all, in economic mobility for all, Let's just run on this stuff. Let's just make sure that we are presenting the best version of liberal ideas out there rather than these half measures. Every single one of the 2020 rumored candidates have embraced Medicare for all. Today, we say the function of a rational health care system is to provide quality care to all in a cost-effective way. Which means Medicare for all. Quality, affordable health care. Everyone, everyone gets a right to basic health care. Is socialism not a bad word in American politics anymore? Is is this what this means or is it too early to say yet? <laughs> it is maybe a little too early to say, uh, but I will say the Democratic Socialists of America, which is an organization that has been around for decades in America, has seen an increase in membership in the last few years. But this is also a half Bronx, half Queens district in New York City, right? Exactly. <laughs> Might there actually be some sort of resonance in this movement outside of the most liberal states? I think the people in these heavily Democratic districts should represent the most progressive parts of the party. Um, I think there is a sense that Democrats do need to think about, is this the kind of campaign they need to run everywhere? Do they want to be sort of a, quote, big tent party and embrace people who are both more conservative and more progressive? That is something we're still seeing play out throughout the country in, in 2018. What's the flip side of this, like on the Republican side? Is it falling in line with President Trump's policies in anticipation of the midterms? Yeah, I have definitely seen the biggest trend on the Republican side is Republicans most likely to lose their primaries or have to go into runoff elections are Republicans who have been openly critical of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. I think we saw that last week with Mark Sanford, who is a super conservative Republican, but he had a habit of saying things about Trump when he didn't like him, Mm -hmm. and he lost his primary. So it sounds like the country's going toward more extremes on the left and the right. What does that mean when the two sides come together in a general election? Who's going to win? I think... The general election is always a little bit about base versus base. Who can you get most energized to turn out for you? Particularly in a non-presidential year, the voters that show up tend to favor Republicans. They tend to be older. They tend to be whiter. They tend to be people who just vote for the sake of civic responsibility. But we have seen so much energy on the left. There's already been a lot of primary elections where Democratic turnout is spiking. But I do think it does turn out to base versus base, who is most energized to turn out. And with President Trump so unpopular, it could just be the Republicans aren't that excited to turn out to vote.
Kay Steiger is the Washington editor at Vox. I'm Sean Ramos for him. This is Today Explained. Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. Bridget McCarthy is our editor. Noam Hassenfeld and Luke Vanderplug produce. And Afim Shapiro is our engineer. Shoutouts to our summer interns, Bree Seeley and Catherine Wheeler. And thanks to Paige Flager for her help this week. The victorious Breakmaster Cylinder makes music for us. Today Explained is produced in association with Stitcher, and we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. My name is Emma Moore. I'm a librarian from Princeton, New Jersey, and I listen to the show every single morning on my walk to work. Uh, To sound sophisticated, I might say that my favorite episode was the fascinating and infuriating interview between Sean and Jordan Peterson. But honestly, I think my real favorite is the very first song parody, uh, that version of We Didn't Start the Fire that I still want as a single. So keep listening and don't forget to follow the show at today underscore explained on Twitter. Uber's moving forward, listening to feedback so they can improve and get better every trip. They're building new features to take the stress out of your pickup and working on ways to keep you better protected and connected throughout your ride. You can find out more by going to uber.com slash moving forward. And one more thing, it's been a big, wild, intense week at the Supreme Court of the United States. And if you can't get enough information about it, you might want to check out the Political Gab Fest. It's the OG of political podcasts. They'll be all over this week's big decisions and Anthony Kennedy's resignation. The three hosts are veteran journalists, friend of the show Emily Bazelon, David Plotz from Atlas Obscura, and John Dickerson of CBS This Morning in the Atlantic. New episodes drop every Thursday. How convenient. Subscribe to the Political Gab Fest wherever you get your podcasts.